So, the past few weeks, we have been, the gospel readings have been working their way through the gospel of Matthew. And um, today, we stumble upon one of Jesus' most iconic miracles, the walking on top of water, on top of the seas. And this is one of those miracles that even non-Christians know about. If people were asked about Jesus, they'd be like, well, he said, don't judge, and uh, he walked on water. And that might be uh, something that people would be able to say just in pop culture. In fact, I remember uh, in undergrad, I was in a religions class, and our teacher, who was not a Christian, was speaking about Jesus' miracles, namely walking on water. And one of the students boldly interrupted him and said, but haven't they disproven that? Haven't we, we figured out that it's because of the salinity of the seas, how, how, how salty they were? It, Jesus was kind of able to be buoyant in the water and sort of tricks people into thinking he was walking on top. And the professor, looking at him, uh, thinking, wow, that was a, probably a pretty dumb comment, um, said that was not the claim. The claim is that Jesus walked on top of water. And in this narrative, it clearly defies the laws of nature, laws of gravity, the laws of uh, how uh, different elements work, air and water and things like that. And it points to us who Jesus is, namely actually what Jesus is through this incredible, miraculous, historic event that really happened. And so we're going to unpack this text and explore the implications for us today. So please join me in Matthew 14 in your Bibles, in your pews. And we'll start in verse 22. This is where the passage begins. And, you know, it begins in action. We're in the middle of a scene. Jesus is immediately telling the disciples to go get into a boat and go to the other side of the Sea of Capernaum. The context of this is because Jesus had just performed another incredibly uh, iconic miracle, the feeding of 5,000 people with just a little bit of food. And the people were so impressed with this incredible miracle, they said the following in John chapter 6, when the people saw the sign he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. And, And Jesus, perceiving that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Jesus escaped because they were going to take him and force him to take his rightful place as king of Israel and over the entire globe. But Jesus was not prepared for that yet. So he escaped, but not before telling his disciples to get into a boat and escape themselves into the, uh, the Sea of Capernaum. But what we learn is that Jesus is up on the mountain spending time with his heavenly Father, and praying. And when evening came, he was there alone, the text says. But the boat by this time was a long away from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. I've only been in uh, a storm, if you could even call it that, uh, on a boat one time, and it was not for long. Uh, We were right outside of a harbor, which was nice and calm, and the sky turned gray, and the wind became heavy and choppy, and I remember the the crash of, like, feeling the wave getting bigger and the the boat go down. I already hated boats. I was already terrified, and that just, you know, that sealed the deal. I really, really do not ever want to go on a boat again. 
I will. Um, but that's, that was my experience, and it was like five minutes in Lake Michigan. And then we got into the harbor, and it was calm, and it was fine. But these disciples experienced a, a huge storm in the middle of this sea, winds and waves just beating against them. And they're fishermen by trade. They, they have experienced things like this before. In fact, we hear other times where they've been out at sea during a massive storm. But this time, it went till dusk, and it kept going until between 3 and 6 a.m., the fourth night of the watch. Imagine the kind of exhaustion they must have felt, the adrenaline rush when they felt like they were in danger, the crash, how sore their muscles were just to hang on for dear life and try to save this boat and save themselves from sinking, the uh, desperation they must have felt by this point. And in the Hebrew imagination, the Israelites' imagination, they themselves, as disciples, as, as people in the Jewish nation, they knew that the sea wasn't just a body of water. It was much more and much more dangerous. They might have had on their imagination, their mind, the, the prayer that Jonah himself prayed today. I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me out of the belly of Sheol, the underworld, the grave. Out of the, out of the belly of the underworld, I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the sea, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. The danger of the seas, as they could take and destroy and kill, was like that of the abyss, the underworld, death itself, and chaos. This is in their imagination. In fact, it makes sense why the psalm writers, when they, were, when they wrote, when the, the, the uh, psalmist wrote the psalms, crying out to God for help, for deliverance from enemies, from, from dangers and things like this, this is the language that the, the psalm writer uses in Psalm 69. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I've come into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. And these men knew, the disciples knew, that it was only a matter of time the sea would swallow them up and they would be in the underworld, in death itself. And no one could tame the seas except for one. In today's psalm, we heard it. The Lord commands the waters. It is the Lord God that makes the thunder. It is the Lord that rules the sea. The voice of the Lord is mighty in its working. Only one could tame and control the chaotic seas and storms. Keep that in your mind as we continue to read. This is what the disciples are experiencing. It's the fourth night, or the fourth watch of the night between 3 and 6 a.m. They are exhausted. They are in fear of their life. They might have felt like giving up. When all of a sudden, as the thunder, I'm, I'm imagining lightning cracking in the background and flashes kind of like help them to see in the middle, in the middle of complete darkness, they see a man as it flashes light, man 40 feet away. And it's dark again. And then a flash again, a man, he's 30 feet away. What do you think's in their minds? A horror movie, just like any of us would have imagined something scary. They think it is a ghost, and they cry out in fear, and you would have thought the same exact thing. But immediately Jesus calls out and says, take heart. It is I, or in Greek, I am. Do not be afraid. 
Jesus is walking on the sea itself. And there's not many instances of stories of people walking on water, just stories of people's arrogance and conceit. Uh, In 2 Maccabees, this is in the Apocrypha, we hear of the wicked king Antiochus. We hear this, Antiochus carried off 1,800 talents from the temple and hurried away to Antioch, thinking in his arrogance that he could sail on the land and walk on the sea because his mind was elated. Antiochus thought he was like a god. Now, he was mistaken, and he's dead now. But we learn in in Job chapter 9, verse 8, that God is the one who alone stretches out the heavens and tramples, treads under his feet the waves of the sea. And we hear again in Psalm 29 today, the Lord sits above the floodwaters and the Lord remains king forever. So when Jesus walks on the water, what does that say about who he is? If God is in 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 this place, at this moment, then we should expect that he would be the one overruling the laws of nature. In fact, Jesus himself, by walking on the water, acts as if he himself legislated the laws of nature that are holding things together, and he can override it just like that. Now, I'm going to skip ahead to the end of the story, and we hear, when they got into the boat... The winds ceased. Imagine, since before dusk, this storm had carried the disciples and pummeled and beat them until 3, 4, 5 a.m., they see Jesus literally come to them and stop it all. And how do they respond? The way that you and I would probably respond if we were in their shoes. They fell down and they worshiped him. And this story reminds us of another instance in which the disciples, earlier in Matthew, just a few chapters earlier, in which the disciples are in a boat, there's a storm, and Jesus, though, this time he's there, but he's sleeping. They panic, they wake him up, they say to Jesus, save us, Lord, we are perishing. Jesus wakes up from being asleep and rebukes the wind and the seas. He says, stop it right now, and immediately stops. In that time, it prompted the disciples to ask an incredibly important question we all have to ask. Who or what sort of man is this that even the winds and seas obey him? What sort of man is this? It's funny because the disciples answer their own question here today. And for the first time in Matthew, the first of a few other times, they respond with their own lips and mouths saying, truly, you are the Son of God. We learn in today's text that Jesus is Lord. He's Lord over all things, the birds of the air, the skies, the land, and he is Lord of the seas. Jesus is Lord of the seas. And scripture tells us three things about Jesus as it pertains to us. The first is that he saves us from the waters. He saves us from the waters. In Psalm 144, verse 7, the psalm writer calls out and cries out to God, who alone can save, and says, Stretch out your hand from on high, rescue me, and deliver me from many waters. 
And what does Jesus do but save his disciples from the floodwaters as they're about to take them down? He literally stretches out his hand and saves Peter from sinking. And Jesus offers us salvation from the abyss, from death, from the unknown, from three things that trigger deepest primal fears. Jesus offers us salvation from these. Jesus offers salvation through the waters also. You see, Jesus can repurpose this, uh, this deadly thing as a weapon for good. And he does so when he splits the Red Sea, allowing Israel's safe passage and crushes the Egyptian armies as they are in pursuit. And Jesus repurposes water for us today as he saves all of us and will bring about little baby Marcus Hughes through the waters of baptism and bring him into safe haven today. Jesus, however, also saves us over the waters. Rather, saves us and delivers us and restores our rule over the waters and over all things. You see, in Psalm chapter 8, we hear about mankind. We hear that, according to the psalm writer, you have made him little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. Sheep and oxen, beasts of the field, birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. You see, what Jesus does is he restores man's rightful place as, with dominion over the created order, over birds, over animals, over things that would kill and destroy us. And also, sometimes literally over the seas. See, Peter had faith and trusted in Jesus and said, Lord, call me out onto the water. And Jesus called him. And what happened? Even if it's just for a moment, he walked upon the seas. He treaded upon the waters. Jesus wants us, he wants to restore our rule over the created order. And this is an instance of it. And it's not the only instance that we know of. Craig Keener, in his massive volume on miracles, in which he documents all kinds of miraculous events, speaks about a group of missionaries in Indonesia during the flood season. They have to cross a river to get to safety and to get to this next village that they're going to. And it's like 100 yards wide. And they're worried. They don't know what to do. And one bold person says, let's just cross. And starts crossing and says, okay, it's only ankle deep. We can make it. We can do this. And so they begin to cross, all of them, this whole team of people. And it doesn't go above their knees. And then they get to this village finally. And they learn from others that it was actually between 25 and 30 feet deep. Whether God raised the, the floor of the river or made it lower, or did something else, they walked on top of water. Because Jesus is Lord over all created order, including Lord over the seas. So the chaotic waters, the unknown, the things that trigger our deepest fears, we should have no fear because Jesus is Lord over the seas. And our response should be, just like the disciples, to bow down and worship and confess, truly, this is the Son of God.
In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.